Hi friends, Erica here, and I wanted to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by my friends over at YM Dental Lab. They are offering two free zirconia crowns for all new customers. Check them out at ymdentallaboratory.com for more information. Now, on with the show. I would like to know what questions you have around these topics. So again, we're talking about insurance coordination, calculating dental treatment co-payments, practice management software setup. Uh, I'm going to use the examples in Open Dental. Are any of you on Open Dental? Let me know. Um, And, you know, essentially just how to um, put all this together and why it matters to us as billers. Um, We did, we had a little fun last week, by the way, Daisy, I see you're here. Um, Oh, you're also in open dental. Great. Um, Daisy won dinner uh, last week, uh, last Friday. She was the first person to get the co-payment calculated correctly Um, in the example that I had used last week um, in my live for um, how to calculate a copayment for a crown. It was a, it was a very simple calculation, but um, I wanted the, the purpose of that exercise was really, and and I wanted to talk about it today. The purpose of that exercise was really to um, help everyone understand how we bleed financially in a dental practice and we don't even feel it. Um, I had more direct messages than I had uh, post uh, answers to the actual post on Instagram. There were a lot of people that were a little shy to post their answer. Um, and most of them were incorrect. Uh, whether they were incorrect by, you know, a couple hundred, overcharging, undercharging, um, there were just a handful of people that actually had that copayment. Correct. And um, you can imagine how this is going to affect our account receivable report when we get payment back from the insurance and we overcharge the patient. Um, I don't remember what the copayment, the correct copayment was, but I do remember, um, I think, and Daisy, I don't know if you remember or not. But it was about $270, somewhere around there. And we had answers that were as high up, you know, into, you know, a thousand, over a thousand, six hundred. So overcharging the patient and why that applies to our billing process. Again, when we get the patient, the, the payment back from the insurance company and we realize we overcharge the patient, the question then becomes, well, what do I do now? Do I leave the credit? on the patient's account? Do I, um, you know, do I send the patient a check? And so that is um, something that you will have to have a conversation with the patient about and determine whether or not that's something you want to do. Me personally, I don't like leaving credits on file. I like to get those things off of my ledgers as soon as possible. Um, so, you know, I do go through and clean up my account receivable report, uh, including the credits so that, um, we are, we have a clean AR report and my doctor does not owe money to, to anybody. 
unless it's a legitimate credit, like somebody paid for implants in advance, and that has nothing to do with insurance, then I'm going to go ahead and um, keep that credit until we produce that. So, hi, Maria. Um, Okay, so... Again, going back to before we get started, today we're going to talk about insurance coordination. Does anybody have any questions about what insurance coordination is? Um, What about calculating co-payments? Do you have any specific questions around that? Oh, I should probably look at the chat box. Okay. Okay, yeah, it was (laughs) $279.60. Thank you, Daisy. Um, All right. Insurance coordination. Let's go ahead and spend a little time around insurance coordination. Um, And what we need to understand before we can coordinate with the patient's insurance plan. Um, For those of you that know insurance coordination and calculation, this may sound very basic to you, but um, I know that you'll agree with me because insurance coordination is essentially... um, taking what the doctor has diagnosed and um, the fee for that and coordinating how much the insurance is going to participate in payment. Now, that sounds very simple in concept, right? So um, yeah, I can I can um, say that the patient has a $1,500 annual maximum and this treatment plan is you know $3,000 and I'm just going to deduct $1,500 from this treatment plan. That is not coordinating insurance benefits. That is um, probably, that's, that's going to cause a lot of issues. Um, so insurance coordination is understanding how to read the breakdown of benefits. It's understanding all of the insurance terms and how they apply to the patient's benefits. Um, you know, there's a very common term and that co- one of the terms is coordination of benefits. And that will apply when a patient has two plans. And there's also another term called uh, dupli- non-duplication of benefits. And if you don't understand what those two definitions truly mean, and you're trying to coordinate insurance benefits, um, we could run into some issues in uh, either overcharging the patient or undercharging the patient, assuming that both plans are going to participate in payment. Um, so we want to make sure that when we are coordinating insurance benefits with the patient's um, plan that we understand how the breakdown of benefits truly works. Okay. Now, when we're talking about insurance coordination, I'm going to stick on this topic just for a little bit. And for those of you that know your stuff, I know it's going to sound a little basic. So you might, if you're on lunch, you can come back in about 10 minutes. Um, But when you are coordinating insurance benefits, it's important that you understand, um, we're going to go all the way back to the basics. So it's important that you understand the 12 categories of service in order. So for those of you that did purchase the CDT book, at the very beginning of the book, it outlines the 12 categories of service. So we call those the 12 dental categories of service. Now, when you transfer those 12 categories of service over to your breakdown of benefits, you now are condensing those 12 dental categories of service into three insurance categories of service. Okay, so you have 
in the insurance, if the insurance categories of service, you have preventive, you have uh, basic, and you have major. Okay, so now we need to know which of the 12 insurance categories of service fall under the three insurance categories of service. So you have in your dental categories of service, you have diagnostic, you have preventive, you have restorative, endo, perio, and so on and so forth, right? So you have your 12 dental categories of service. Now, which ones fall under the ver- our very first insurance category of service? So that's going to be diagnostic and preventive for the most part. Okay, so those two dental categories of service are going to fall under your preventive insurance category of service. Is everybody following me so far? Okay, so the next category of service that we have is going to be basic and basic traditionally. Right. Um from a traditional standpoint, but it can also have some curveballs in there, typically is going to be like your restorative, endo, perio, and oral surgery. However, and I'm going to leave it there just for the sake of simplicity right now. Okay. So then you have your basic, and then you have your major categories of service where we'll just say for simplicity purposes that everything else falls under major. Okay. It is important that you understand what falls under which insurance category and which percentage it is covered at. Okay, so let's just say that the patient needs a filling. You need to know which dental category of service a filling falls under and then assign it to the correct insurance category of service, which is typically going to be basic. Basic, any basic service is typically covered at 80%. You will need to know how to calculate 80% of what fee, right? Does the deductible apply? So my point here, insurance coordination has a lot of moving parts to it. And where you start in understanding insurance coordination is going to be um, understanding the very basics. Uh, last week we talked about this. I know that is that a lot of you that are starting out in dentistry um, want to bypass the basics. And I see this. I've taught dental front office for a very long time. And if you are training a newbie, you want to have them start out by understanding their 12 categories of service in order and then show them how to assign those 12 categories of service, which category falls under which insurance category. And that's where we start. Those are the very basics to helping a newbie understand how to start navigating through all of this insurance coordination red tape. Um, So any questions so far about insurance uh, insurance coordination? Have I made my point about understanding the breakdown of benefits Um, You need to understand that your breakdown of benefits is everything to the insurance coordinator and to the biller because, um, you know, we need to know, you know, what is allowed on a a date of service. Um, 
you know, does our patient qualify for two additional uh, cleanings for the year? I'm not sure if any of you have heard of the dental medical integration clause. Um, if you have not heard of the dental, medi dental medical integration clause and you don't have it on your breakdown of benefits, how do you know if the patient is going to qualify for two additional perio maintenance cleanings for the year, right? So if we don't know to ask for that clause in the plan, then we could be overcharging the patient for the two additional cleanings that we are recommending they have for the year. So um, dental medical integration clause essentially um, means that if the patient can provide medical necessity as to why they need these two additional cleanings, maybe you have a patient that's diabetic, maybe you have a patient that has a ton of comorbidities, um, or they're on a medication that causes dry mouth and more frequent cleanings would help them medically, then we want to ask the insurance company um, you know, is there a dental medical integration clause in this plan? So I have a question here, and this question is from Daisy. The question is, I recently had a patient who had uh, dental, is it Dentical called to coordinate, and you called to coordinate benefits. And I also added in the remarks, but claim keeps getting denied. Any recommendation? Oh, so th does this patient have Dentical as so Dentical would be primary because that's the that's the government plan, um, and if Dentical covered it at a hundred percent of their fee, then the secondary is not going to participate in payment. Uh, oh, you are not contracted with Dentical. Okay, so let's see here. I added in remarks but the claim keeps getting denied. Any recommendations? PPO is Humana. Um, so you put in the remarks that you are not contracted with Dentical and Humana denies it. What is the perfect, what is the reason for the denial? Hi friends, Erica here, and I just wanted to pop in and give you a personal invite to our next event, Dental Billing Disrupted, which is happening in Atlanta, Georgia on April 20th. This speaker lineup is insane, and we are going to cover everything dental billing and then some. If you're interested in learning more about the event, go to the link in my show notes, and I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. And just while I wait for Daisy's response, um, you know, for those of you that don't know when you're coordinating benefits with the government, like whether the patient has de uh, Dentical, which is what we call Medicaid here in California, um, the rest of the country calls it Medicaid. In California, we're special. We, we <laughs> assign it Dentical for California. Um, when you say primary... Primary to your office because you're not contracted with Dentical, correct? Um, so Humana would be primary and Dentical should not be coming into play. Um, it could be that Humana is just seeing that the patient has Dentical. Um, what I would do is pick up the phone and call somebody in the claims department. And if that doesn't resolve it, then I would start an appeal. 
um, because if they continue to deny, now when you are resubmitting this claim, um, are you asking for reconsideration and are you adding additional information or are you just resubmitting? Um, what I would recommend is write a separate um, narrative outside of the claim. So it's going to go in as an attachment and you're going to basically retell your story and you're going to say, you know, hey, the patient came in for this. Um, you know, this is what how we treated the patient, even though it's obvious on the claim, sometimes retelling the story helps the claims examiner to see that, um, you know, this Dentical isn't a player here. So um, I would need to see everything in order to give you a more accurate answer, Daisy. So feel free to um, send it to me and I can take a look at everything and tell you how I would recommend proceeding. But if Humana continues to deny the claim, I don't know what the denial is based off of, um, but if Humana continues to deny the claim and you do not agree with that decision, this is a case that I would appeal. And um, it sounds like the, it sounds like the treatment was necessary and the insurance company is using a delay tactic in order to delay or deny payment. And um, just because they do that, um, I don't always allow that to, to be the case. So um, sounds like we need to do an appeal. If you want me um, to help you and just be an extra set of eyeballs, I would be happy to do that. Um, can you, okay, Katrina, can you repeat the info regarding two additional 40? Yes, absolutely. So this is called the dental medical integration clause. And this is something that we need to have on our breakdown of benefits. And this essentially, um, is asking the insurance company if, the patient can prove medical necessity as to why they need additional perio maintenance. It could also ap apply to prothes. Um, we just have to show the insurance company, assuming that the plan has a dental medical integration clause in the plan, um, if we can prove medical necessity as to why we want the patient to have two additional cleanings a year, um, they will pay for it. So. Um, that is something that I add. I suggest that we add to all of our breakdown of benefits. It's the DMI clause, dental medical integration. Um, and it's essentially asking, can we do two additional cleanings on this patient a year? Now you will have to prove medical necessity. Um, it's typically going to be approved for patients that, um, you know, diabetics, patients with um, comorbidities like high blood pressure, uh, you know, maybe they're on a medication that dries their mouth out. Um, but there's got to be a reason medically as to why the patient needs to have these two additional cleanings. Um, sometimes insurance companies don't even ask for that information. But um, when you find that it does have that clause, it's nice to be able to come and tell the patient, you know, your doctor is recommending two extra cleanings a year. And your insurance company will cover those additional cleanings. So that's really nice. But these are all things that as an insurance coordinator, we need to understand um, and know to ask, right? So, um, you know, another one that I like to ask on my breakdown of benefits 
and I know I'm getting a little off of topic here, but I feel like it applies is, and this is a biggie. Um, can we do uh, four, D4342 uh, limited scaling and route planning on the same date of service as D1110, a profi? And 50% of the time, you'll find that insurance companies will allow you to do limited scaling and route planning um, on the same date as a profi. And why this is so important to ask is because profis by quantity are a dental practice's number one procedure. So profis typically make up um, the majority of all the treatment that we are rendering. Now, it's not the number one revenue generator, but my average office does about 2,000 profis over an 18-month period. And if we have 2,000 profis, I promise you, you know, at least 30%, 40% of those profis had bleeding or had an area that we, um, I'll get right back to you, Katrina. Um, so at least 30 to 40% of our patients had um, bleeding. And what happens is a bloody bib profi ends up getting documented. And we went ahead and we did the scaling, uh, the limited scaling and root planning, but we didn't document for it. And because it wasn't documented, we only build for a profi. I see this every single day, friends. Every single day, I, I am remoting into a new dental practice somewhere in the country. And I see profis with light bleeding, profi, moderate to heavy bleeding, profi, you know, light generalized bleeding. I see it all the time. And a profi should not have bleeding. And it shouldn't be so, it shouldn't be to the extent that we're documenting it with a profi. Um, that is an, a, an opportunity to determine one of two things. Was this truly a profi or was it a gingivitis cleaning? Or was it a profi with limited scaling and root planning? And it's those decisions, and I, we call them decision, um, decision-making uh, trees, I guess. Um, you know, we, we want to be able to make that decision and help our clinical team understand, you know, if there's bleeding, there's one of two things that you need to determine and document accordingly so that I, as your biller, can codify in this interaction between you and your patient and maximize on that interaction. Okay. So um, Katrina asked if I could repeat the codes. Yes. Those codes are going to be D1110 for your profi, and the other code is going to be D4342. So we want to know, can those two codes be done on the same date of service? Okay. Again, why? Because profi is our number one interaction with patients, friends. That is what brings our patients back for retention, and um, you know that is what we're seeing them most often for. Now, um, when a patient is in the chair, I'm not talking about new patients. I'm talking about patients who are scheduled for a profi. Our hygienists or doctors, if they're doing their own cleanings, need to understand that when there is bleeding, it's going to change a regular profi interaction. It's either going to be 
now we have switched it from the patient was scheduled for profi, but because there's some bleeding with no perio and not necessarily, um, there's no, uh, attachment loss. There's really no bone loss. This is really a gingivitis cleaning. That is what I refer to as a preventive perio maintenance cleaning. I'm sorry, preventive perio cleaning. Sorry. So at this point, it, it patient was scheduled for profi. Now we're doing a gingivitis cleaning and that gingivitis cleaning turns into a gingivitis cleaning regimen. Um, and we're going to bring that patient in more frequently to prevent them needing SRPs. Um, that's a whole other topic, but that's what I refer to as a preventive perio program. The other type, the other way that that profi visit and interaction can go is going to be when the patient is here for a profi, but we have some areas that actually need some um, scaling and root planning. It could just be one area in a quadrant in addition to the profi. So I want to empower my hygiene departments and I want them to understand from an insurance coordination pro, uh, point uh, standpoint, I want them to know. They should be able to look at the breakdown of benefits or somewhere on the routing slip so that if my profi patient has bleeding and it's gingivitis cleaning, can I go ahead and do that today? Or can I go ahead and do the limited scaling and root planning today? Because what typically happens is the patient is in the chair for a profi and there's bleeding. A hygienist is trained to um, not pay attention to insurance benefits because nobody ever talks to the hygienist about insurance benefits. So now we have a patient who has bleeding in the chair for a profi. And what typically happens is we will break from, we will break from the um, interaction with our patient, go up to the front, ask if we can do this. We have to make a phone call. And before you know it, we've run all the way into the time with our patients. So um, you know, the workflow, the design around identifying, you know, insurance coordination along with our profi interactions so that we don't bottleneck is super important. So I hope uh, that I have uh, shown you how important insurance coordination is. It's not only about calculating the treatment plans, it is also about workflow. You know, identify your Hey, Katrina. Okay, well, we'll see you in the recording. Yes, this is actually getting recorded today, friends. I, <clears throat> I didn't record the first one, but we'll see you next time, Katrina. Um, so insurance coordination is everything. Now, let's talk about when you are posting payments. I see a lot of offices that have individuals who are posting payments and they don't know how to court. They don't know insurance coordination. They don't know if we got paid what we were supposed to get paid. Going back to that exercise that most of you did with me last Friday on Instagram, um, you know, a lot of a lot of good answers, but there were a lot of incorrect answers. So, how would you know if you were the individual posting the payments to that account? How would you know if you were doing it accurately if you don't know how to calculate, right? So um, we're going to spend some time talking about that. 
And so let's move on. Let's let's go into talking about calculating dental copayments. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how strong? I think Daisy, you answered this one for me. I'm not sure, but for the rest of you, if you want to answer, nobody else can see your answer. I don't think. Um, can you guys see the messages? Um, I think this is private, so feel free to answer answer freely. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how strong would you say you are in coordinating insurance benefits? Uh, so Daisy's asking for gingivitis cleaning. Which one do you use? It's going to be D four three four six. Um, we still have D four three five. We still have D four three five five in the mix. However, um, we do want to be careful with that one. D four three five five is a um, trigger for audits if it is overused. Um, so debridements only as necessary, and gingivitis cleaning. Um, so it's like Profi gingivitis cleaning and then SRPs. So, um, and, and debridement, I would only put in the mix as necessary. Amy says that she is a five with um, coordinating insurance benefits. You're welcome, Daisy. Um, okay, so anybody else that wants to share what they feel they are, I mean, you may not have experience with this. This may be all new to you, um, but my recommendation is truly uh, get to know one of two things. Maria, I'm sure you're more than that. Um, and, and don't worry, you're going to be a 10 here very soon. Uh, so for those of you that are new, please get to know your breakdown of benefits. Uh, I can share with you, I can share with you the breakdown of benefits that I give to my clients. I do tell them to make it their own. I do tell them to customize it, but uh, you know, there, there's terminology inside of the breakdown of benefits that is important for you to understand as a newbie to dentistry, because um, if there was one area that I could spend the majority of my time with uh, of somebody that I'm training, say I hired somebody with no experience, I would definitely make sure that they understand the terminology on the breakdown of benefits, as well as the most commonly used codes in my practice. So um, that is my advice. Now, calculating your insurance co-payments. There's a few layers to this. The first layer is understanding which dental category of service goes into those three insurance categories of service. Now, the next layer is understanding how to apply a deductible to a calculation. And so the answer to that is, as with any deductible, say you, you know, a, a car insurance, they are going to take the deductible off the top of any fee before they apply 
their payment percentage. So think about it this way. Here is your, you have your fee for the service minus the deductible, and then the percentage applies. So let's just say that that filling that we talked about earlier is covered at 80% because basic services are covered at 80%. What you're going to do is find the fee for that filling, remove the deductible right off the top, and then whatever is left over, we are going to um, multiply by 80%. That's going to give us what the insurance pays. And then we're going to take what the insurance pays from the full fee, and that's going to be the patient's copay. Okay. So deductible comes right off the top of the fee, whether it's going to be the allowed fee by the insurance or our standard fee. Um, in-house deductibles come off of the formula, <clears throat> off of the fee before we start um, incorporating the, the percentage, okay? Now, to take it a step further, there's another layer to this. And the next layer is going to be downgrades because insurance companies like to downgrade common procedures. So the most commonly two procedures that get downgraded are gonna be your posterior composites or your, your molar and bicuspid composites. And by the way, friends, um, for those of you that are have experience and you're getting the breakdown of benefits, I have incorporated asking if bicuspid um, posterior composites are being downgraded and I'm seeing a lot of guesses. So <clears throat> make sure that you're, you're keeping your eye out for posterior composites, including your bicuspids, because it used to be Posterior composites, molars only. And I've seen a lot of yeses around bicuspids. So just keep that in mind and maybe start incorporating that so that you don't miss out on that, um, that money. Um, okay, so we have downgrades. And what about when a deductible applies to a downgrade? So the first question becomes, what is a downgrade? The downgrade is when... Um, the insurance company is utilizing their um, right to a, a clause that is called the least expensive alternative treatment clause. And that is referred to in insurance contracts as LEAT, L-E-A-T. And again, it stands for least expensive alternative treatment. And this is a clause built into these PPO contracts that allows them to pay for what they feel is the least expensive alternative. And so a lot of times they will take advantage of this clause and they will say, okay, um, yeah, you can go ahead and do a um, white filling on a molar. However, we only want to pay for the cheap amalgam filling. So that is a downgrade. So you may have billed D2392, so a two-surface posterior composite, but the insurance downgrades that payment to D2150, a two-surface amalgam payment. So now we have to take into consideration a downgrade plus a deductible. So remember, deductible will always come off of the fee or the procedure code 
for which the insurance is participating in payment. It is not going to be deducted from what you, you're actually doing. It's going to be taken off of the procedure that the insurance is going to pay for. Okay. So we are doing a D2392, two surface posterior composite. However, insurance is taking advantage of that LEAT clause built into the, to the contract, and they can pay for the amalgam, the two-service amalgam on that, on that filling. So um, the payment for our composite filling is, let's just say for simplicity, is $100. And the, not the payment, the fee. The fee for the amalgam is going to be uh, let's just say $80. The contract, the deductible is $50. Which fee is the deductible going to come off of? Is it going to come off of the full fee, our, in, our UCR fee, or is it going to come off of that downgraded fee? So is it coming out of the 100 or is it coming out of the 50? Right, correct. Daisy says downgrade. So we're going to deduct the deductible from the downgraded fee. So that's going to leave us with, we we're going to take that 50 from the 80, that leaves us with $30. This is a filling. Fillings fall under which insurance category of service? They fall under basic. And basic is covered at 80%. So we're going to take the $30 that are left over, because now we've taken that deductible out, and now we're going to multiply the $30 by 80%. So for those of you that are really good at math, you know that that, <laughs> that insurance is now going to pay $24, okay? So insurance is going to pay 20. Now, what are we taking $24 away from? Are we taking it away from the 80 or are we going to deduct it from the 100? Because remember, we actually did, we actually did a posterior composite. We did a white color filling. But the insurance paid us is going to pay us based on the amalgam. We then deduct the deductible, leaving us with $30. 80% of $30 is $24. $24 from, yep, $100 is going to give us what the patient's copayment is going to be. And that's going to be $76. So those are the three main layers or three main veins that I see dental billing departments bleeding financially from. If you don't know, no worries, Maria. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, if you don't know how to calculate treatment plans, it is going to be a problem for the biller. And a lot of times we as billers, we are the same people that are calculating these treatment plans. So the, the next question becomes, and I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you, friends. The next question becomes, so this is open dental. Are we setting up our patient accounts? And this is going to be a universal. I'm using open dental as this example. But, you know, the, it's universally I see in any software that um, we are not setting up our patient accounts um, to match the breakdown of benefits. It's great that you know how to manually calculate all of this stuff, right? 
but we should also set up our software so that we can rely on our software to be accurate, right? So in this case, in open dental, okay, um, there is an area where we can, we can help, um, we set up the system so that our uh, program calculates the downgrade for us. Now, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly because <clears throat> this is not an open dental training. So I'm just going to show you how we can additionally leave money. So if you, A, you don't know how to calculate a treatment plan and you, you can't recognize if we got paid accurately, you're not going to be able to tell if your system is calculating this, the treatment accurately either. So within open dental, there's a place that we go to input the downgrades that apply to this patient's account. Now, I can't, no practice, no practice management software is going to universally downgrade all posterior composites and all posterior porcelain crowns because that is patient plan specific. So you have to know how to set up your software per patient plan. If downgrades apply, you gotta set it up in your software. So in open dental, we go into, um, we, so we're in plan info. We're going to go into other insurance info and we are going to go into our substitution codes. And this is where, um, and by the way, friends, this is a demo. So it doesn't let me use actual codes. However, we'll assume that this is D2391 a one surface posterior composite. And so you'll see here, it says that C stands for composite one, means one surface composite. I am telling the system always downgrade for this plan to 2140, a one surface amalgam. So now whenever the doctor diagnoses a one surface posterior composite, Open Dental knows to automatically downgrade and calculate for us. However, going back to my point, you still need to know how to calculate this manually so that you know that your system is being set up accordingly, okay? So you can go in here and you can add any downgrade. So again, it doesn't let me use actual code. So let's see if I can find a crown. I'll just do a porce PFM crown. And it's asking me, what code do you want me to calculate downgrade? How do you want me to downgrade this crown? So I always want you to downgrade PFM crowns to D2791. So now Open Dental is set up to go ahead and calculate downgrades for my patient. Not for all patients, but for this one, because it is appropriate, because when we obtained our breakdown of benefits, we were told that these procedures would be downgraded. So we take that information, we put it into Open Dental or Dentrix or EagleSoft, um, you know, whatever software you're on, you go ahead and you put those downgrades into the system and now you can rely, hopefully, that your system is doing it accurately. Some other areas that I find offices are lacking right now, um, 
do you make sure that your claim is showing the UCR fee and the account is showing the contracted rate or whatever the agreed upon rate is? It is possible in all softwares that your claims show the UCR fee and not the contracted rate. Okay, Daisy says we show UCR, you show UCR in the claim form. That is perfect. That's, you know, I actually get pushback about this um, from very experienced billers who say, you know, no, you should be putting the contracted rate on the claim form. And, you know, side note, I will tell you why you should not be doing that, especially if you are, you know, let me see if I can move this over here. Um, especially if you are a um, contracted provider. <clears throat> Excuse me, friends. I'm just going to get a little sip of water because my throat is getting dry. Okay. I'm going to try not to get too technical here. Your UCR fee is your standard fee. Um, and your UCR fee should be positioned in the 80th percentile for your zip code. Now, I look at different offices every day, and I have yet to find an office that is right in the sweet spot of the 80th percentile. And the reason you want your UCR fees to be in the 80th percentile is because you should be putting your UCR fees on your claim form. Now, the next layer to that is, if you are putting your UCR fee on the claim form, the insurance is gonna assume that is your UCR fee. When it is time to increase the contracted rate, they are going to take a look at what you have been submitting on your claims, and they are going to determine how big of an increase you are you deserve. So if you've been submitting the contracted rate, they're gonna say, well, our fee matches your fee. Why should we give you an increase? And you're, you know, most offices are gonna say, well, because you know, we want it. Eh. The idea is when you're going into fee schedule negotiation, and if you guys want a whole topic on this, I can go on and on because I think more people should know how to do this. Um, the idea is you should not be writing off more than 40% of your UCR fee. So if your contracted rate, if your UCR fee for a pro fee is $100 and your average reimbursement is 40, as an example, it's extreme, then you are writing off 60% of your UCR fee. And it is time to go knock on that insurance company's door and say, hey, I'm writing off more than 40% of my UCR fee. Now you're speaking the insurance company's language. And I would like to negotiate less of a write-off. I'd like to see how close we can get me to a 40% write-off or, or lower. And that's how you start the negotiation conversation. But going back to this example here, it all ties together. If you don't have your software set up properly, then you lose leverage in other areas. So not only are you going to lose money 
by either overcharging the patient and having to issue refunds for credits um, that are not due to you. You can also be losing money because you don't understand how to position your fees accurately. And so um, we always want to make sure that we have our UCR fee there. The other thing, and this is a biggie because I have noticed this, um, insurance companies find any reason to deny and delay claims. And one of the ways that they're doing it now is by um, denying claims because you're using an old claim form. So make sure that you are on a 2019 ADA claim form or newer um, and, 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 don't, and get, get away from using the old claim forms. Now, in here, because this is a demo, it doesn't give me the option, but I will, um, you know, as if I go into any of my clients' <laughs> um, offices, I double check which claim form they're using and I update for them. Um, and so, you know, those are just some of the areas. If we don't set up our software accurately, these are some of the areas that we are going to be bleeding financially, friends, and that is no good. Um, and so if we have all of this info set up properly, we can be more confident that the patient's treatment estimate is accurate. Now, I don't know about you. But me personally, I do double check everything myself. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier and uh, I said, you know, you should come out and, and, and be with me like in my office for a few days so you guys can see how I do things. Uh, you know, any, I would love to have anybody come and hang out with me in my office. Again, it's in Carson, California. You'd have to come out to California, but you know, I, I would love to show you how we do things. Um, because I am, I am, um, pretty, pretty detailed. And I'm also, you know, because I've been doing this for such a long time, I've gotten very fast at it, but you know, it, I still make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I still, Daisy, come on out. Um, I, I still make mistakes. I still, you know, I still learn stuff every day. And, um, you know, I'm forever going to be a student of everything dental billing. It's what I have chosen to do with my life and my career. And, um, you know, I hope that I can, I can continue to share all of what I have learned through my self-study, through the continuing education, through the mentors I've had, I've had some pretty amazing mentors in my career, friends, um, and they didn't come knocking on my door. I had to go and tell them, listen, you are going to be my mentor because I chose you. Like, you know, I choose you and um, I'm going to learn from you. And um, I've been told no. I've been told OK. <laughs> I've been told so many things. So um Amy, come on out, girl. I mean, we just talked about this. So um, I hope that you guys enjoyed today's uh, webinar. And I hope that some of what I spoke about is going to help you um, go add that DMI clause onto your breakdown of benefits. If um, you want to talk about, um, you know, the anything else that we talked about today, uh, the one area that I would love to discuss further with, um, with all of you individually or as another group is how to maximize on your profi interactions. 
Um, if you have patients coming in for a prophy and say they have a partial denture, insurance will pay for the cleaning of the partial denture on the same day as a prophy, but you have to know how to how to ask the right question. You have to know what type of narrative needs to go on the claim. And that's another area that we are losing out on when, you know, a patient is in the chair for Profi. So we've identified about six different interactions, Profi interactions to help you maximize on your number one procedure by quantity in the practice. So um, let me know if you want to have that conversation. I will make myself available. Um, you know, I can talk about this stuff all day long. Uh, I'm probably going to go live on Instagram. So if you guys want to join me over there, um, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I might just go on to answer questions, but I do enjoy this interaction with you. And I look forward to week three. Next week, we are going to be talking about attachments. Notice how excited I got there. <laughs> Um, attachments in more detail. So we're going to go into more detail. Side note, this happened in my office yesterday and I got upset. Um, we had a patient that we use a, a company called Sunbit. We just started using them for third-party financing. And I'm going to type it right here because I get a lot of questions since yesterday. Sunbit. Okay. So that's the, that's the third-party company that we've switched over to. And they have a really high case acceptance. Um, I'm not affiliated. I don't get paid to talk about them. I'm literally just talking about them and my experience with them. So we had a patient, this goes back to attachments, I promise. We had a patient that came in and needed about $16,000 in treatment. She has Dentical. We are a Dentical practice. And we won't, if you're, if, if our patients need scaling and root planning, if they need four quadrants of SRPs, we don't start anything else until we get the gum situation, the, the gingiva, we get all of that under control. Um, and so uh, we presented the treatment to the patient and that was the one service that was covered by our insurance. I went to the patient left and I went to look at the x-rays um, one of the things that I have trained my team to do is to recognize whether or not something is going to get approved or not. And so I've gotten really good. I, um, I have trained the assistants, uh, you know, the, my doctor uh, to understand what an approval looks like in terms of, you know, bone loss and, and, and all of the other factors. So I looked at everything and I said, there's, I, based on what I'm looking at, um, it's, it's not going to get approved. I can't see the bone loss in the x-rays and well, no, I could see the bone loss, but the point here is my assistants didn't take an FMX and the FMX that I had on file was three years old. So, you know, attachments next week, when we talk about attachments, we're going to talk about, um, you know, what they should look like and how we, how, what the insurance companies are looking for in order to deny your pre-approvals or your claims. And it's important that your team understands what this looks like as well, because I, most of the time my assistants can look at something and go, oh yeah, this is probably not going to get approved. And if they're unsure, they'll bring it to me and say, I think it's not going to get approved. What do you think? And if I'm unsure, we submit it. But for the most part, we know what will get approved and what will not. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, if you have any questions, let me know. Looks like we are about 
do to end the session. If you don't have any questions, um, then we will see each other in next week's week three. Attachments, what else? Clinical documentation and coding. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. I will uh, talk to you guys next week. Those of you that have any questions, you know how to get a hold of me. And I'm going to be heading over to Instagram just because I want to. I'll see you guys. Bye. Okay, my friends, that's going to wrap up today's episode on the Dental Billing Podcast. I can't wait until the next episode, and I hope that you join me. Until then, take care. Thank you.